Okay, welcome everyone. Good to see you tonight. Anyone in need of a paper or handout? There is, uh, we have some, a few left over. Everybody's got one? Okay, great. Good to see you all tonight. Thanks for being here. We're going to take a look tonight at uh, the beginning of a four-week series on Habits of Happiness from Paul's letter to the Philippians. So we'll actually be looking at the scriptures. Just a, a housekeeping note. Uh, we meet this week, of course, tonight and next week. And we're off for Thanksgiving, so nothing here will be on Thanksgiving. Okay, And we resume on the first two Thursdays in December. That's December 3rd and December 10th. Okay, So why don't we take a few moments, turn to the Lord in prayer, and open our hearts to him tonight. Let's begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Father God, we thank you as we gather here tonight to uh, hear your word, to grow in the wisdom of your word through your servant, Paul who in his letter to the Philippians uh, talked about how to live in the spirit of joy no matter what the circumstances were. So Father, we pray tonight that we may open our hearts to your word, we may grow in understanding of how we are to live in the presence of you and in the circumstances that are challenging us, how we can maintain a spirit of joy, how we can maintain a focus centered upon your son, how we can open our hearts to all the things you want to do no matter what the circumstances are in our life. We ask you, Lord, to help us to have hearts and minds tonight that will be humbled and tendered before you. So we'll look inside our hearts and see what are the things that we need to change by your grace. What are the things we need to surrender to you by, by your uh, inspiration. And what are the things we need to do to commit ourselves to grow in relationship to you by your power. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you're in need of papers, handouts, there's a couple extras up here, I can see, other than that. So um, Paul's letter to the Philippians, we'll get into just a moment. We'll talk about some of the thinking behind this series, uh, Habits of Happiness. Um, obviously, happiness is something that's very much a part of all of our lives. And if it's not just for us, but for our loved ones and people that we know, we want, we want to everyone to live in happiness and to walk in happiness. And actually, so does the scriptures, as we'll take a look tonight with Paul's letter to the Philippians. But happiness is something that we don't look for so much as it's something that we create. And uh, it's something that we choose for. It's something that we are able to open our hearts and minds to in a way that uh, we seek to grow in happiness, to experience happiness by right thinking, by right living, by right acting. And happiness is a byproduct of that. So somebody once said, if you make happiness your goal in life, uh, you'll live a very self-centered life. Okay. And we hear that a lot in our culture, right? Make happiness the goal of your life. Well, actually, it's kind of self-centered. We're going to see tonight and over the next couple of weeks that really it's not about making happiness our goal. It's about making Christ our goal. And when we learn to think like he thinks and live like he lives, then we'll, happiness is a byproduct of that. So um, a couple of things, too. Some people think happiness is based on uh, surroundings or happenings, but actually that's very temporary. What we'll talk about over the next several weeks is building habits of happiness. So no matter what the circumstances are, or your geographical setting, or your situations you find yourself in, it's cultivating habits of happiness that really uh, leads us to experience a real sense of joy in our life and a real sense of happiness. Um, the other thing is habits of happiness are just as addicting as bad habits are. 
Okay. So you know how it is. We all have our, our own particular habits that are not very healthy for us that are we consider bad habits. Well, habits of happiness can be very addicting and very beneficial for us. So we'll be talking about that beginning tonight. Or what are some of the habits that we can begin to put into practice that will be very, very addicting? And the byproducts of that will be very, very healthy for our life as, uh, as human beings, but also as Christians. So, um, so there's some of the things just to go into this series with, I think, are some ground rules, you might say. Uh, happiness is something that is not our goal. It's Jesus is our goal. It's Christ-centered life. And happiness is something that we can create by right thinking and by right choices. And the byproduct of that will be a, a real spirit of joy and happiness no matter what the circumstances are. Paul's letter to the Philippians, as we before we actually get into tonight's teaching, is the, one of the shortest, shortest uh, letters that he wrote, but it's considered one of the most happiest and joy-filled letters in the whole entire Bible. Okay. Uh, he uses the word joy quite frequently. He uses words like rejoice, glad, uh, joy, uh, all synonyms for happy or happiness. Uh, some 17 times in a very short letter, you find those words appearing frequently in the Bible. He actually wrote it, though, just for historical sake. He wrote it from prison. Uh, and it's something to keep in mind that when he's talking about all this, as we'll see, beginning to see tonight, he's really talking about situations and circumstances that he had to live. You know, so this isn't like pie-in-the-sky theology or stuff. This is like stuff he lived, he wrote from prison, awaiting most likely his execution in Rome. And prisons in those days were very are not like prisons today. <laughs> prisons in the ancient world were like, Paul was most likely in a cave kind of setting, uh, lowered down, so there's no way out, obviously. And at other points, he was chained, we'll see a little bit, uh, particularly next week, chained to a praetorian guard for almost 24-7, which were the best fighting guards in the Roman Empire at the time. And he was chained to one 24-7. You know? So he wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> And so he had to cultivate habits of happiness in the midst of his circumstances. That's where his letter comes out of. That's why he's writing, he wrote this letter. And joy appears some 17 times, or it's derivative, like glad or rejoice, appears some 17 times in the letter. Paul's look at tonight starts with relationships. So when he begins talking about how we can live in happiness or joy, he begins with our relationships. And that's where, we'll, that's where we'll start tonight. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at the first 11 verses tonight. Again, if you were here in the other series earlier, we'll be, as we make our way through this, we'll be filling in the blanks here until you're out, your papers. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And if you, do we have any extra papers around our chits? Okay, that's not, okay, that's it. Nothing up here. No, no, any extra papers. Yeah. Yeah. Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, let's begin. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace to, uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy, thankful for your partnership in the gospel from the first day into now. And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus Christ. 
It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of, of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Okay, so let's take a look at the very first habit of happiness that Paul speaks about. And that is, uh, number one in your, your papers, is be grateful for the people in my life. Be grateful. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Gratefulness for Paul, giving thanks for the people in his life. And he's giving thanks for the Christians in Philippi. Important to keep in mind for them, they, they, he and Paul had a very special relationship because they were, he was in need of financial support to continue his ministry. And word was sent to the Philippi Christians. And sure enough, they came up with the finances needed to support him. Now, one thing about this community, they weren't about exactly a wealthy community in any sense of, a, of the imagination. They were a community that was struggling and meeting their challenges and facing, at times, the kind of the persecution of the Roman Empire. But they gathered up what they had and sent it to Paul and were able, he was able to continue and to expand his ministry. So there's a, a real spirit of affection between Paul and this, this community, and he gives thanks to to the Lord for them. He says, he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. So he's really filled with an affection for this community, and he's giving thanks. Gratefulness is an antidote for taking people for granted. You know? um, and so Paul was aware of that. Verse 5, he says, I thank God for the help you gave me. They were a community that supplied him with what was needed in the circumstances. Was, which was a financial commitment they made to him. So to give thanks to Paul is to practice a, what I call selective memory. <laughs> okay. That means to be specific in our memories of things, and, and particularly people in our life, in terms of what they have done that have been helpful or good or a blessing to us. And that's a choice that we make, to be selective in our memories. Right? That's what Paul's doing. He's being selective in his memory of the Philippi Christians, and he's giving thanks, remembering how they took care of him in a time of great need. And his choice to be selective in his memory was a choice to celebrate God's work in them, of which he was able to benefit from. So when we give thanks for the people in our life, what we're saying is, I am remembering things about them of which have been a blessing, or have blessed me in some way, or have been a blessing maybe to other people as a result of their life, and my memory is choosing to give thanks to the Lord for them. You may have a whole list of stuff you can find wrong with them. I'm sure Paul had with the Philippians, look like Christians. He had a whole list. I mean, he was a wise pastor, so he understood the, the challenges and the struggles of a, of a Christian community, particularly the Philippi Christians who were on the outskirts of the Roman Empire and were facing all the kinds of challenges that Christians in those days did. You know, but what, and we're going to see in his letter as we move on that there were people in the community that rose up to undermine Paul. What does Paul do? He chooses to remember selectively 
how the Philippi Christians supported him, took care of him. And he said, I give thanks to you guys a lot, for, to the Lord a lot for you guys. So one of the habits of happiness tonight is, and this has on your outline here, remember to be thankful. Remember to be thankful. Just to give you a little bit of a preview of that, because it does fit in with tonight. Uh, next week we'll look more, a little bit more closely at this, but Paul was facing people in the Christian community at Philippi that sought to, were competitive with him in ministry, sought to discredit him, slander him. These are all Christians now, okay? <laughs> sought to undermine him, okay? And in, in some way felt that, tried to, tried to t in a sense, tone down his ministry and his calling. There were critics, slanders, people caused controversy. They were competitive with him in this community. What does Paul begin his letter with? I give thanks to you guys, for you guys. <laughs> Selective memory by Paul. Remembering and seeing the Lord's work that was being done in the community, Philippi, and particularly how they have, he was affectionately touched by their generosity to him. That's what he chose to remember. Okay, number two on your outline here. Habits of happiness, growing healthy relationships. So the first is be grateful, be thankful for the people in your life, and be selective in your memory by choosing to give thanks for the things that are the Lord is doing in them. And secondly, number two, pray for the people in, you, in my life. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 4, I always pray for you and make my request with a heart full of joy. Heart full of joy. Paul it was interceding for this community quite frequently. Prayer is the power by which we move on. Paul understood that because he prayed a lot and talked about prayer a lot in his letters. Prayer can change people because God changes people. So what did Paul do? He made his prayer positive for them. It wasn't like, oh, Lord, send down lightning bolts on my critics, you know? No, Paul's prayer was positive. Paul's prayer was for them. He was giving thanks for them. He said, I'm thankful that you're partners with me in the gospel. So there may be things you want to change in a person, but pray for them instead. Let God go to work through your prayer. So Paul understood what the community was facing and how they particularly were opposing him at various points, or were critics of him, and so on. But what Paul, do, Paul does, he prays for them rather than become judgmental of them because he knows that through prayer, God can work in a way that Paul could never work. And God could be at work in a way that changes hearts in a way that, that he could never do. So an, a habit of happiness, the quickest way to change a bad relationship to good is pray for them. Let's look on your outline here, verses Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, or if you're following in the scriptures. This is what Paul says. This is, we're going to look at the nature of Paul's prayer for the Philippian Christians. This is a great prayer to pray for people in our life, if you, or in your life, if you want to say, what should I pray for them for? Well, Paul gives us a wonderful model of prayer. He says, this is, how, this is what he's praying for the Philippi Christians. This is my prayer, he says. Okay, so this is a prayer. That... Your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. 
So what does Paul pray for? Let's look at your fill in the blanks here. Paul prays that they, first of all, grow in love. That your love will grow more and more. This is verse 9. So his prayer is they grow in love. Another synonym for love would be holiness, to grow in holiness. Next is, they, he prays for them that they make wise choices. Discern what is best. Right? Discern means to distinguish. So he's praying that they discern what is best. So, so they, he's praying for them that they make wise choices, that you will fully know and understand how to make right choices. So he's concerned for them that the Lord would help them discern what is best, that they would know, have knowledge and depth of insight, so they can make good choices, wise choices. Remember, the third uh, line there is they lit, that they pray for they live with integrity. Verse 10 says that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. And then lastly, verse 11, he prays they become like Jesus. That you be filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the pray, to the glory and the praise of God. So this is Paul's prayer for them. It's a prayer that they grow in love, they make wise choices, they live with integrity, and they become like Jesus. And this is a prayer that he would pray continuously for them so that they would have understanding of what is best. They would grow in knowledge of insight from the Lord. That they would be able, and through that knowledge and insight and making good choices, they would be pure and blameless. And they would look like Christ. They would be filled with his righteousness, his fruit of his character. Now, this is a great prayer to pray for somebody in your life that you're struggling with. It's a positive prayer. It's a prayer based upon the scriptures that's full of hope, full of good fruit, full of blessing for them. And it, at the same time, it's saying, Lord, go to work in their life and do these things in them. You know, give them knowledge and depth of insight. Help them discern what's best. Help them make good, wise choices in integrity. Lord, help them to become like Christ. They will have his righteousness. They will show the, show the fruit of his character in their life. Now, that's a positive prayer to pray for a person that you're struggling with in your life. That you're having a hard time getting along with. It may be a spouse, maybe a child, but this is a great prayer to pray for them. And what it does is it keeps your heart focused in love for them. And even if you have to pray this prayer and, like, you have to grit your teeth praying this prayer, okay, that's a good place to start, okay, because you're still praying the prayer for them. And just, Lord, I'm not there yet. I can't pray it with, you know, all the sincerity and all the, I don't feel good about it, but I'm going to pray it anyway because it's your word. I'm praying for that person. I really do want to see these things happen in this person's life because I can't change them, but you can. And next week we'll take a look at the person that we really can change, which is ourselves, and look at how we can do that. So, okay, so first is be grateful. Second habit is pray for the people in your life. And the goal of it is, if you turn over to the next page, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you pray joyfully for a person, and I say joyfully, I'm not saying you have to be really, you know, in a euphoric state as you're praying for him, or a mystical state, I'm saying you pray this way for a person, then it's the antidote to be coming cranky with someone. Because if you pray this way long enough for a person, and eventually our hearts become sincere because we get invested in the prayer, you know, it's difficult to maintain a, 
a cranky attitude with them. And we're praying for these things to take place in their life. Okay, number three. Paul's letter to the Philippians is expect the best from the people in your life. Verse six, notice what Paul says here. I'm confident of this, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So notice what he says here. I'm confident. In other words, what Paul is saying with the word confident is he's saying that God will work in your life he will bring about good things in your life. I'm confident he's going to do that. I'm confident in his commitment to his, his loving you. I'm confident of his commitment to saving your life. I'm confident he will work in your life. So Paul is saying, I'm confident based upon the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and his commitment to us. I'm confident that he who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion and to the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul's confidence was based upon Jesus' commitment to his life, and he knew to the other Christians. Remember, he was a guy on his way to Damascus to destroy the Christian church. And the Lord interrupted his plans and changed his agenda and converted him to become a Christian. I often say, for Paul, it was the best and the worst of both worlds. The best was that he became a Christian and went from darkness to light. The worst is he had to go now minister to the Christian churches that he was persecuting. How would you like to stand up in front of a congregation in which you were persecuting and you look out and you see oh that's harry i threw him in jail about two months ago you know <laughs> or isn't that uh betty's uncle uh, you know uh wasn't he didn't have him interrogated you know did he lose his job because of what i did or wasn't that isn't that sam and didn't i was i responsible for his father's death you know paul had to go paul had to his conversion was wonderful it was wonderful for the church but it was a real dilemma for him. He had to go back to the people that he persecuted. You know? So, uh, you know, for months, Christians were suspicious of Paul. Did he really convert? This is, this is a trick, you know, this is a trick. Finally, he took Barnabas, took him under his wing to mentor him, coach him, if you would. Barnabas was a Christian of good, outstanding character in the early Christian community. Everybody loved Barnabas. So when they started seeing Barnabas hang out with Paul, he said, well, maybe... Paul is not as bad as we thought. Barnabas is with him. Barnabas doesn't make mistakes like that. So Barnabas put his reputation on the line. I often say, for those of you who heard some of the morning homilies, I often say, if there wasn't a Barnabas, there would never have been a St. Paul. So sometimes, so my question to all of us here is, who, who is the Barnabas in your life? And who are you the Barnabas to in someone else's life? Paul was a man who understood that confidence in God's work was somebody, somebody had confidence in his life that was Barnabas. And that was a reflection of God's heart of care for him. So he says to the community of Philippi, hey, I have confidence of what the Lord is doing in you. What's the habit of happiness there? It's celebrate their progress. These are the people in your life you're struggling with. Celebrate their progress rather than judging how much they still have to go. That's what Paul did in Philippians. He knew how far they had to go. He was a wise pastor. He was a good pastor. He understood human character well. He understood his own heart well. But instead of focusing upon how far they had to go, he looked at their progress. And that's where he put the accent. I'm confident the Lord had began a good work in you. 
will complete it. So I'm not going to focus upon how far you still have to go. I'm going to focus upon what the Lord's done already in your life. So what if we did that with the people in our life? Instead of focusing upon how far they have to go, but looking at celebrate where, how far they've come, or look at celebrate what the Lord is doing in their life right now. Let's celebrate their progress. Paul was patient with people's progress. The key to his patience with people is to love them with all their warts. <laughs> warts and all. That was the key to Paul's patience. He celebrated how far they've come. He understood their warts really well because he was meeting them often through the criticisms and the controversies and the competitions and the, you know, and all that. But he celebrated where they've come and he was patient with them and loved them with all their hang-ups. Let's look at verse 7 here on your outline. Philippians verse 1 says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. That's a beautiful expression of affection of Paul's heart for the Philippian Christians. So St. Paul gave them a vision of what they could become. He painted a picture for them of their future. He says, I believe in you guys, and I'll give you a vision of where the Lord wants to take you. What's, where does the Lord wants to take them? Fill them with the fruits of righteousness so they become like Jesus. That's where the Lord wants to take them. So he, he, was, so he, he painted that picture for them of their future, and he, he gave praise to God for that, that this is where the Lord was going to take them. And he told them that, works and all. Number four, love the people in my life like Jesus does. Let's look at verse 8 here on your outline. Paul says, God is my witness that I tell the truth when I say that my deep love for you all comes from the heart of Christ Jesus himself. One of the things about St. Paul is that he got Jesus' heart for the people of, the, of Philippi. The Christians there. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't self-centered in his perspective. He wanted Christ's heart for them. He wanted to see them through the eyes of Christ. He wanted to get Jesus' heart for these people. So he wanted to love them with all his heart, but in order to do that, he had to get Jesus' heart for them. He had to see them how Jesus saw them. So that's part of his prayer was to say, Lord, you know, show me how, show me your heart for this people. I want your heart for them. And the Lord gave him this heart, and that's why he was able to be the kind of pastor to them that he was called to be. You know, that's why he was able to go through all the stuff he had to go through with them. That's why he was able to maintain happiness and joy in the midst of very difficult, trying circumstances because he got Jesus's heart for the people in, that he was ministering to. So do we pray that way for the people in our life that we're struggling with? Lord, give me your heart for them. I want your heart for them, Jesus. My heart is like really torn. I'm like, I'm, and sometimes I can get angry with them. I can get bitter with them. I can be down. I can be cynical. I can be all these things. But Lord, I want your heart for them. Give me your heart. Let me see them through your eyes. Let me, let me be able to, to feel like you feel like towards them. And so the Lord, to do that, the Lord has to change my heart, right? He's got a lot of junk inside here. He's got to work through. He's got to, I tend to see people through my junk, right? So if I say, Lord, give me your heart, he's got to change my heart so that I can love them with his heart. Habits of happiness. Love the people in my life by asking Jesus to give you his heart for them. 
which means that I need to change to become and to feel and to think like his heart. Let's look at first letter, John chapter 3, verse 16 on your outline here. It says, this is how we know that real love is, what real love is. Christ gave his life for us. So then, so we then ought to give our lives for others. In other words, ask the Lord for his heart, for the people in your life that you're really struggling with. And we, if we pray that sincerely and invest ourselves in that prayer, we won't remain the same. We will change. And we'll begin to take on his attitude, his affection for them. That is really supernatural in nature. And it's called grace that overtakes our hearts. Okay, habits of happiness then. First night then. If we say, well, what should I put into practice in my life? Let me suggest a couple things. It's on the outline here. It's one is remember to be thankful for the people in your life. Secondly, pray for them. The third is expect the best from them. And the fourth is ask the Lord's heart. One of the ways we expect the best, by the way, is to celebrate the progress in their life and not focus upon the still the areas of needing progress, of change. And lastly, ask the Lord for his heart for people. Okay, in your small groups tonight, I don't have any questions for you, but I can just talk about uh, what of those four things would you say stood out to you that really spoke to you tonight, and how would you see that working in your life? So what habit of happiness you say really spoke to you, and how can I begin to work on that in my life? We'll take about uh, 20 minutes to do that in your small groups.